Okay, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to really review, I'm not going to go back to those Proverbs last week, but um, I am going to just, because now, as this letter is progressing, I want to show you how, how he, we could start with tonight, we could start with this lesson tonight. We needed all five chapters to get to where we are tonight. And, and as I went back, that's why going over during the holiday season, when, you know, go, go back, read that first chapter again, the second chapter, and just listen to the letter, the, the, the way it progresses, the way um, Paul is writing to these people. Now, in the first chapter, just quickly, he's saying to those, it's a, it's a general, a lot of times he starts with a general overview, and he is basically saying in that first chapter um, that that we do need a savior. And he kind of tells how important Jesus is in our lives. And it's kind of like a general overall for all of us. He doesn't really get personal until, you know, um, the third chapter. But so it's kind of, and then, then he goes on to say that, you know, we all are sinful people and we all need a savior and we, we have one. And that there is no, there is me, there's, there's not a man that, that has an excuse good enough to say, you know what? I never heard. I don't know. He said, man is without excuse. So um, he is just making sure we know that this is a message for everybody. You have to, you have to know your place in, in this world. And it is that we are sinners, but we have a savior and that man is without excuse. And what does Paul say in that first chapter? And I want you to know, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not a bit ashamed to tell you that that's what you need. It's a power of God for salvation for those who choose to believe it. And he said, and if you don't choose it, he said, well, then you know what the Lord does? He hands you over. And boy, that first chapter was tough. He hands you over. In other words, he says, you know what? I don't make, I don't make you respond to me. I've done everything necessary to buy you back, to redeem you, to, to get you back in a fellowship with me, but I don't make you. So if you choose not to, I hand you over and you just watch sin, just keep taking you down that wrong path. It just is, you know, and that's, it, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And so that was the first chapter. And then in the second chapter, he came back and said, you know what? Um, I just want you church people to make sure you know that you haven't become right in the sight of God because of who you are or, or what, what you've done or um, how far you've made it up the ladder or how many good works you've done. He talked about our credentials, you know, and how, yes, they are all wonderful, except that none of them could save us, but they led us to the one who did. But, but he's saying, just in case you're on that, that slippery slope, too, that if you think that, that it's your church attendance, it's all, you know, all your good deeds, it's, he says, self-righteousness, no, there's no such thing. You are not made right in and of yourself, so, and then in the third chapter, that's when he starts narrowing it down and he starts making sure that we know huh, that there is no one righteous, no, not one. And we have 
all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so he really then comes down to personalize it and make sure we know that he's talking directly to me. And then in the fourth chapter, he, he then uh, comes back and says, you know what you need? You need this faith. You need faith. And he remember how we talked about Abraham and David and that faith was something that we, everybody needs that. And that's an absolute trust in God. And, and you know, Abraham just had to believe a promise. He didn't waver when, when it says when, when his body was as good as dead, God promised. And so he hung on to that. And against all hope, in hope, he chose to believe. The difference between earthly hope and heavenly hope. And, but faith is essential. We need to absolutely trust him. And then in the fifth chapter, in the fifth chapter, he then... Um, he said things like, um, uh, because you've been justified by faith, see, now that you know that, you know, even though you never saw Calvary, you didn't see Jesus actually die, you know, you didn't see him actually come out of the tomb. But hey, we know this Bible is true. We accept it by faith. We accept the cross worked. And how do you know? Well, you should be your biggest you should be able to, you know, your own personal testimony should be the, the biggest, you know, showing of the truth. Because, I mean, if you once knew what you were and then you know what you are now, my goodness. So, you've been justified now by that faith. You've been, you, you believe that the cross worked, that the blood covered your sins. And, and that Jesus now, his spirit lives within you. And... You believe that by faith. He said, hey, do you realize that? That you now can, you're, you can live at peace with God. And you, you don't have to fear every morning about your salvation. You live at peace with him. You've made things right. You humbly went to the cross. You admitted that you're a sinner. You took his salvation. And now you can live at peace because what really matters was all been taken care of. Oh, that's why he said to that sinful woman, go, go live it up. Go live in peace. I took care of it. All the things that you did, all the things that people um, associate with you, well, guess what? I took care of it all. Now you go live in that freedom. So, and then he says, another thing, he said, are you acting like you have access to an almighty God? Do you know that when you pray, you can go right to that throne? You know, I know we just take that for granted, but he said, that's, that's the fundamental factor is that because he sees us as righteousness, as righteous now, we can go to his throne. And when we are talking or when we're listening, we are in his presence. Wow. And he says, and do you realize that every day you live in that hope? And that's why he continued on and said, but you know what? You can get excited about that. You got it made. But you can even rejoice in your suffering. You can even find joy in that because, again, your faith tells you that he is working. He said it before. If he, if he, he 
didn't love us, he wouldn't care. But because he loves us, he is going to make sure that we're disciplined and that we don't always get our way. But do we believe in him enough? Is our faith strong enough in him that we just take his will as perfect and believe that he's up to something? Because he said, if you're, if you're willing to let this suffering work, it will cause a perseverance in you. I mean, you will not fall. You will stay steadfast. You will believe. You will not get thrown off your feet. You'll persevere. You'll get tougher. You'll get stronger. And that moves into, then your character starts changing. See, Paul is trying to say in this book of Romans, you can't possibly stay the same. You can't possibly take these, these words chapter by chapter, line by line, and, and, and have it come into your heart, and you're studying it, and you want it to become personally a part of you. It cannot help but change you. You will change. You will take on Christ's character. You will, you will find that this character then turns into this wonderful hope that you've got something to hang on to. What do you have to hang on to? Well, that he, he doesn't give up on you and that you do have a future and that his plan is perfect. That someday we will be a part of a new heaven and a new earth, and we will dwell with him, and, and all evil will be gone, and Satan will be no more. He said, man, that's a great way to live. And then we move into today's lesson where he says, that because, you know, obviously he, he used that phrase um, a couple weeks ago when we, when we did it. He says, how much more? How much more you and I have? We, oh. Uh, but because, remember in, in Romans 3, there was this slanderous people going around saying that Paul's message was, well, hey, go ahead and sin because, hey, his grace covers it. And his grace will show you how great he is. And by your sin, you show that, you know, God is so great. So, you know, I mean, Paul is saying, that's slanderous. That's, that's not even... That's just ridiculous because why would you want to hurt someone you love and are grateful for what they've done for you? So he comes back to chapter 6 and says, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? To say, you know, by my sinning, I just show how much greater God is. You know, he says, come on, that's just... By no means. We died to sin. Now he's going to go, and he, he's, he's got such an eloquent way of basically saying a simple message. And that is, don't you know, I, I love the way he said that. We died to sin, and how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know? I love the way he did that. Maybe you don't know, he's saying. Maybe I better not assume. Maybe, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ were baptized into his death? Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know that when you came to the cross of Christ, you took on that death symbolically because you and your sinful nature, you, were, you died to that. When Jesus died for you, you died that 
awful, sinful, controlling sin, that, that trap of sin, it died too. So I said, you know, I mean, he says, come on, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Why would you want to live in it anymore when you've been set free from it? Before Jesus, before you went to the cross, before you were saved, we lived in sin and we were trapped in sin and we had nowhere to go but to sin. But now, because of Jesus and his Holy Spirit, now we've got a choice. So when he says, or don't you know that all of us were baptized... And baptized means covered. You were covered. You were covered into Christ Jesus. You were covered into his death. That old you was supposed to go down. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is the gist of Paul's message tonight. He said, don't you know, don't you get it that the bottom line to this is that Jesus did all this for you. Now he expects that old nature to go down um, into the same death he died. But when he was raised, then we too are raised into a new life. It is no longer I that lives. It is Christ Jesus who lives in me. Now, how can you not be changed when you have a new life? When you have different priorities, when you have different purpose, you have different worth. You see life altogether different. How can you not be different? So I keep going back to verse 3. Or don't you know? <laughs> Maybe you didn't know it was that serious. He expected a completely different person in you now. Now, granted, yes, we are all individually made, and we all have different personalities, too, and we all have different purposes in our life because he created us with a distinct purpose, so he gave us different gifts so that we could, we could do what, he's, what he created us for. But as far as all of his children, he is expecting all of us to take on Christ's character. And that's that new life that Christ came out of the grave. That new life is now ours. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I love the way Paul says this so many times. Now, in verse 3, he said, maybe you better check to see how much you do know. But I love it in verse 6 where he says, come on, you are supposed to know. And what are we supposed to do? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, look at verse 8. Now, if... What does that say to you? If, now, if we died with Christ, what's see, as we read it, each one of us read it personally, what is he saying? Just like verse 3. Now, do you know the if is a big word? Now, if, but you better just double check. <laughs> because if you died with Christ, so that little word just always makes us 
the, it's not an automatic thing. No, it's a choice you've had to make. And if you did die with Christ, then look at this says, then we believe that we will. Oh, I love that. I circled that because what, what can you know when he says we will? That is a for sure thing. That's that hope that won't disappoint us. That's that, that's that hope you can count on. We will also live with him. For we know, there it is again, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death, has, death no longer has mastery over him. Death, he died. He died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. I went back and I thought, you know, in the Old Testament, I, I think, boy, they really had it. You know, they, the whole Testament is about, is the story of the coming Savior, actually, because right in Genesis 3, once sin came into the world, you, you just right away see that, that, that God has a plan. He's going to already, he's already going to set a, a, a salvation in motion. And the whole Old Testament, by picking Abraham and then, then the, the nation of Israel and, and all, of the, all of that is, is exactly the story of hope and to hold on to this hope because a Savior is coming. So the Passover every year, the sacrifice, the Holy of Holies, the priests, all of that was symbolic of we need our sins cleansed and it's only blood sacrifice that will do it. Now, I don't know why it took so long. I don't know, but God's timing is perfect. But now the season we're in right now, we have a Savior. And he had to come only once. He had to live 33 years only once. He had to go to the cross only once. He had to die only once. His blood was shed only once because that was the ultimate sacrifice. Once for all. And then what happened? The rest of the gospel message is, is that he died, he rose, he ascended, and he is living with God the Father, and he is preparing a place for his children. He's going to come back again and get us. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he said, yes, you have your sinful nature has died, but look what, look what rose in its place. Look what you've got to look forward to. This is such a good chapter of saying, you know, if you are down in the dumps and you feel just such, such heavy weight and you feel discouraged, and remember one of, that, one of those Proverbs that said, if God feels so far away, what, what's the problem? We have not initiated this. We have we moved away from God. God never will move away from us. But we don't, re, we don't recall this enough. We don't go back to the, the basic truth of, of, of the beginning enough. Because I think if we did... Count yourselves dead to sin, would you? But know that you are now alive in God. And the part of you that, that is the most important, well, 
it will never die again. Never. It will never die. Therefore, so he's kind of saying that. Now, do you realize what you got? Your sinful nature has died. He took care of it. Your sins have been bought, paid for, past, present, or future. You are now righteous. We were talking about the snow, whiter than snow. That dark blackness that it said when you turn anybody inside out and without a Savior, all the same color. But look, all that black and dark has been washed away, and we are whiter than snow. So in that verse, in that verse 11, it says, now I want you to see that you're alive now. You're alive Therefore, if that means anything to you, because what did you deserve? Oh, man, we all know what we deserved. Therefore, that's why it's there. It's there because of that previous verse. Do you see what happened because of Jesus? That old sinful trap nature of yours is gone. It's died. He took care of that. And now you are alive with God. Do not sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So, you know, what, what words in there? I mean, I don't think you can mis misunderstand. He said, therefore, because of, all, because of verse 11 and how great that is, therefore, look, do not. Anybody have a, a question on what that might mean? <laughs> He's saying, no, this is do not, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And you have got, you've got the power source to keep that from happening. And I know, I know people say they pass over that. They say it's impossible. I mean, there's no way, you know, I mean, that all sounds good. It all sounds well and good, Paul. Thanks a lot. But you know what? It is impossible to not let sin reign. No. We, that sinful nature is supposed to have died. And if you let that old nature resurrect back up, it is not his fault. It is yours because he has given you everything you need. Why do you think Jesus said to that adulterous woman, do you remember? You remember that. Remember um, how he said, you know, the episode with the Pharisees and Cassidy, if anybody who's, um, if you have never sinned, well, then by all means, cast the first stone. And then he said to her, he said, no, where is everybody? And there was no one there. And then what did he say to her? And neither will I. I won't. I, I didn't come to condemn. But what did he say? Go and said no more. Now, do you think Jesus would say that if he, if he didn't say, uh, I know that sounds good, but I know it's really impossible for you? No. If Paul knows. I mean, if Paul knows that he is in the same um, human state as we are, but he also says, and that's why later in chapter 7 where he says, yeah, my human nature, yes, it, it wants to sin. And that's why I don't do what I should do. And on and on he goes. So he says, I'm in the same predicament you are. But if we exercise all the power that we've been given, all the tools that he's given us. So Jesus said to that woman, now I want you to go. And because of what I've done for you, now go, you have 
died, your old self has died, and what has come up out of the grave is a new, new you with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. If you are willing to listen to his wisdom, if you are learning, if you are willing to listen and learn his wisdom and hear his voice. So, I mean, it's very clear. He says, do not let sin reign in in your body. And it's possible because it's your fault when you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So put into power what you now have. Don't just shirk and say, well, I can't help but the devil made me do it. No, you've got a greater source within you. And then when he says this, he says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Have we almost sang tonight, oh, be careful, little <laughs> hands what you do, where feet where you go, eyes what you see, tongue what you say, ears what you hear. You are responsible. He's saying you are a new person in Christ, and you have to think about those mortal parts of you, where you're going, who you're with, what are your eyes watching, what are your ears listening to. That's up to you. And what he's saying, because of Jesus, do not, don't fall back into that trap. Don't let sin reign over you like it used to have control over you because it doesn't anymore. If you think sin is controlling you, you're letting it. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. What then? He wrote a lot of questions in this. I mean, this is what he, I mean, he knows the answers, but what is he, he's asking questions like, okay, now what? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. You know, that whole that whole law thing, I had to kind of get, get a handle on that because what is the law anyways? We know that Jesus fulfilled the law of the Old Testament. Remember, there was that Mosaic law, those 700 plus laws that they had to follow, which then proved their righteousness. They, that, they had to work at that. They had to follow those rules. They had a law that made them right. And then they had to sacrifice these animals, that blood sacrifice, which, like I said, represented Jesus. But, but we know that Jesus came and freed us from that law. We don't have to offer an animal anymore. We don't, we don't have to follow all those rituals that they did in Leviticus and all that. No, Jesus took care of that. But Paul is still talking about a law that we are under. I went back to Psalm 119. <laughs> I decided not to read every verse. <laughs> but I read every verse at home. And other than verse 89, every, every verse of Psalm 119, 
8.19 has to do with listening, obeying God's word. It will either say God's word, but it'll also say law, or it will say precepts. It, will all, it all has to do with listening to God's words, listening to his voice. Because I either want to, I either, remember we have a wisdom folly, it's up to me. In Psalm 119, all the biggest psalm, forget exactly how many verses, hundred some, and there's only one verse that doesn't pertain, but every other verse shows you the importance. We need God's law. We need God's word because why? It is now our new master because we are going to have a master. We are no longer, sin is no longer our master, but now we've been transferred to another master. We are, we are his children. He is our master, capital N, and M, and he has his law that he puts around us because he knows us so well. He knows what we face day in and day out, and so he puts us in this fence of his law around us, and he says, now stay there. You listen, you learn, and you obey. And if you do that, you will be fine. You'll get through life. You'll know what victory is about. You'll be content and satisfied. You need that law. Now, that law doesn't save, but boy, Paul's going to go into it and say, you need this book to what? We needed these chapters just because sometimes we just don't see our sin. Paul even admitted it. He said, sometimes, oh, that coveting, I didn't even know I had a problem with that. You know, it's much easier to see the action sin, but sometimes those thought sins aren't, aren't always so, we can kind of put those in the back. And this book, this, this law kind of keeps reminding us, oh, remember from what you once were, and if you don't activate that new given life, that power source that's now living inside you, you will fall back to that old way. No, we'll read that. Don't you know, verse 15, 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly, boy, that's an underline, you wholeheartedly obeyed. That's what it takes. Remember, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart, that wholeheartedly. Don't lean to your own in all your ways. Keep acknowledging him, and he will drag you wholeheartedly. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You wholeheartedly read this, you listened to these words, you learned from them, and you are letting the Holy Spirit change you. And that's what Paul's reminding them. You wholeheartedly obeyed the teachings in which you have, you know, pretty much he's saying, which you've started in September. You are listening and you're learning and you should be different. You've been set free from sin and you've become slaves to righteousness. It's hard for us to put 
slave and freedom in the same sense, because that's what we are slaves to righteousness. We're slaves to our to him, our master, capital M. But yeah, we've been set free. But we've been set free of that old nature. We've been set free of our sin. But oh, we are still responsible to him. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them to slavery, to righteousness, leading to holiness. See, he's saying, you're different now. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. That's quite a contrast. That's quite a trade. Wages of sin, and we we all have known that verse for years. But oh, to watch it now, he explained it so well. How now? Because of one, two, three, four, five, and a half of six, almost all of six. Now I get it. He says, "Don't you see? The wages of sin is death." But when was the last time you realized what a gift you've been given? this gift that you didn't deserve, this grace, this mercy. So when he calls it, he says, but the gift of eternal life that you and I have in Christ Jesus. And when does our eternal life start, by the way? When does eternal life start? I know we have a tendency to think our eternal life starts when we die on this earth. And No, when does eternal life start for you and me? At the cross. That's when our eternal life begins because it's at the cross that we realize that, that our soul is saved and all is well. And that soul will never die. So he ends that, he ends that by saying, I want you to end this chapter. I want, because, you know, he hit hard. He, he made sure we, we saw, do you realize you were so trapped in sin? It controlled you. It was your master. It was that old, ugly, old self of you that wants to keep creeping up. And boy, you should just hate it when you start seeing that thing again. Because you should be different. Because you came out of the grave with Jesus, a new person alive and well. And it is a gift. Do you not know, brothers? See, so when we go on to the seventh chapter, he, he again, he says, do you not know? Because if you know this, this transforms you. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives. Now he gives this a, a, a human touch by saying, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So my brothers, you also died to the law. That old way of doing it, that old, that old, um, 
the old the whole the old testament way of um of of the sacrifice and the 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 blood sacrifice that you had to do every year and all those rituals of, you know, the following the Passover and making sure that bread was, you know, without yeast and all that kind of thing. They, they had it just, oh, there were just hundreds of them that they had to do. No, you've been released of that because Jesus took care of that. You don't have to, do, he did it for you. You've been released that you may belong to an, um, let me read. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now you belong to him. He lives inside of you, and he now is going to be producing a whole different kind of character in you. It's called fruit of the spirit. Instead of fruit of self coming out of you, because fruit is whatever's coming out of you. And, and before, it was just a fruit of self all the time. But you now have the character of Christ, the fruit of the spirit that wants to come out of you. We can bear fruit. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now... By dying to what once would bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? And so now he's going to come right down to it. Is, is this um, easy or I, now will I ever struggle with sin again? Well, no, he says, I want to make sure you know. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known. No, he keeps making sure we, we have this law reminding us. Like he said, I might not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not. Cause, you know, now you're going to see him talk about himself a little bit. Remember what Paul was before Jesus? Remember he was, oh, was, did he know the law? He knew it word for word. As far as, what did he say? As far as legalistic righteousness, I mean, he did everything right. You talk about good works. You talk about study hard. You talk about knowing knowing the Old Testament law, and he just followed it. And he, um, he was a learned man. And so he says, you know what? Now watch what he says. I might have not known what coveting really was. Because what did he think of himself? What did he think? What did he think before Jesus? What did he think of himself? You bet. He was perfectly fine. He was the one that had it all together. Everybody looked, look at me and see that. That's what Paul, that's what Paul thought. And that's why he says, if I didn't, you know, and now you're going to watch him pretty much say his story in, in different ways, but he's pretty much saying, I went to, I, not me, I didn't covet, oh no. I mean, I didn't have sin in my life. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Now, what, do you experience, what big spirits happen there? Basically, what is he saying in a very unique way? But is he, he's saying what? What day is he talking about? 
on the way to Damascus. You know, when he had that where, where Jesus just had to take him right down because, boy, you know, not me. I didn't have a problem. I was, re I was religious. See, I mean, this is so church people. A lot of people are just so, unless you have brought, and he says, unless you are brought right down to of the pulp of seeing yourself the way you really are. And so many miss that. And so he's saying that. He says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. He thought, all these rules that I was obeying and that, I thought, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm really good at this. It was bringing him such life. People were looking at him, impressed with him. I mean, that was real living, he thought. But as he says, but it was bringing me death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me. Uh, that life that he was le leading, he's saying, that was all wrong, and it was deceit and made me think I was all right. Remember the Matthew 23, you know, Jesus says seven woes to those Pharisees. You know, you think you're such a good, but you're blind leading the blind. You're, you're so squeaky clean on the outside, but you are just rotten to the core on the inside. That's what Paul is saying here. The very thing that I thought was making me good, I was wrong. I needed Jesus. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. I think, you know, by this time, he is saying, you know me by now. You know my testimony. You know the way I used to be. You know what had to happen to me. I'm, think, I'm thinking when Paul was writing these letters, I bet he just remembers those three days when he was blind, sitting alone in the dark, and he thought he was so smug. But, boy, the Lord sure knew how to humble him, and he is thinking for three days. So when Ananias comes, he's thought it through. He really sees himself for what he really is. He was cut right down there. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying, I know there's so many like me. Thinking that they're doing all the right, you know, the right things. And I still go back to, to what, you know, I remember Lisa saying, yeah, you know, we just had, all the rule was, was that we had to make professional faith by the time we graduated from high school. I mean, and that's just one example, but we all, I think a lot of us were raised with those kinds of, of beliefs. If I do that, if I do that, if I do that, and Paul's saying, do you realize that all those things that you thought you were doing, but until it goes right, till Jesus goes right back to the center of your heart, and you see yourself, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized, sin it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. You know what? He's saying, you need this book. You need this book. And just like we needed Romans, sometimes we need to be, and that, that's why I, I, tell, I tell Chad and Jason this all the time. I said, you know, you, you might preach the same congregation every week. And so that's why you think, well, you know, I mean, everybody, you can't assume anything. 
you can't assume that everybody knows you could you could have you could have half the people who are who are Pauls thinking that well I've done this all my life I've been sitting here good all my life doing good works all my life and I said you got to keep bringing them back to the cross because you never know one person might say you know what I never did that before I've known this all, I'm, you know, I've been raised in this, but I never made it mine. And Paul says, I just want to tell you, I understand that because that was me. The very, the very um, catechism and Sunday school and all that, the very thing that I thought, oh, well, I've got this all. I mean, even Christian school and all those beautiful credentials, again, that, that we should be very thankful for. But they didn't do anything except show you what you are. And until you're willing to come to grips with that, Paul says, man, I was way out. I was way off. So when he's, you know, that was, that was, that was quite, those were quite big words there, Paul. I, I had to think about them. It was somehow, well, there was a couple of times I thought, Paul, could you just simplify that a little bit for me? But then I thought, no, no, he wants me to just sit in and think this through and see his life and say, that's how wrong I was. And yet I was so religious. I needed, you know, it's just like when he says, I needed... But in order that sin might be recognized as sin. I think that's what happened to him those three days. All of a sudden, he, he saw himself as a sinner. Oh, and I'm sure he went, moi? You know, you, you, that was a rude awakening. And then he says, what does this book also do? It calls sin for what it is. And boy, do you think we've moved out of that? I think of some of the things we, we call, instead of calling it sin, I mean, even like a wise. And I mean, how we just, there's a whole list. I should have brought it. But one of them that really gets to me is that we've taken the word abortion and we, we, we say now the right to choose. I mean, you know, we have just done everything we can in this day and age to not call sin for what it is. And we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, like a lie, you know, oh, I was just stretching the truth a little bit, or I just, you know, with a little fib, or, you know, I mean, those things, and that's just a couple instances. We do that, and then that's why Paul said, so that through the commandments, sin might be become utterly sinful, that I see it for what it is, and I don't want to go there anymore. That has died. That was crucified with Christ. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. So now he's saying, now he's going to say this, sold as a slave to sin. That's what I was. Now I see that. I was, I was sold as a slave to sin. Conceived in sin, born in sin, until I came to grips with Jesus. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. He's saying, okay, 
this is what is at war all the time. And that's why I think in every lesson that comes up, I always have you go to Ephesians 6 because we have got to know that this is a constant war. This is a constant battle. And Paul is saying, you know what? I'm just like you. Um, we are supposed to have died. Our old nature is supposed to have died. But unfortunately, if we step out of a relationship with Jesus, if we step out of fellowship with him, if we start moving into our own self and let him call the shots and we're not listening to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to go back to that old way. And he said, it is a dilemma. We fight this all the time because our, what did we say in the first lessons? We have a sinful nature that wants to suck us back in. And we are at a war. So Paul is saying, yeah, this is the dilemma all the time. I don't do what I know I should do. I've got this force coming all the time. And what I don't want to do, I do. You could just see. I'm thinking, I wonder how long it took him to, because I could hardly read it, let alone him writing it the way he says. But I know what he means. Man, this is hard. It's so hard to die to myself. It's so hard to make that choice to listen when, when oh, I'm just being pulled. And I just don't want to stand out. And I just want to be accepted. And I just want to blend. It's so hard to consider where I'm going and who I'm with. And what are they going to think of me? And all this. This is such a, you are constantly at war with that self. So he's making it very clear. It is. So in Ephesians 6, what must you and I choose to do? That's so critically important. Every day you choose to what? Put on. You have to put it on. And you go on, you go through that, that Ephesians 6, and you go through that armor. And he uses kind of a military kind of feel. Because uh, we're in a battle, we're in a war. So it was a great analogy. But if you notice, everything that you put on, every piece of armor has to do with, are you right before Jesus? Are you living in his truth, that belt of truth? Have you, are you, do you have that breastplate of righteousness over that heart of yours? Or do you want to live right? Is your heart right to produce good fruit? Do you have that helmet of salvation? Do you keep going back to the cross and realize what he's done for you? Do you have that shield of faith? Do you have that absolute trust in him that you believe that he's got the control and he's got the plan and he's got you in the center of it? And that you're going to rejoice even in suffering because he's up to something. That's your faith. And he said that shield will keep every arrow from your enemy away from you. You won't go down. Your feet will be firmly planted. You will not. Oh, you might, you, you might feel the, the, the wind of the storm, but you aren't going down because your feet are firmly planted in who he is and who you are in Christ Jesus. And then you keep that communication. You keep your little as spirit connected to the Holy Spirit. And you know what he says? You're going to be fine. 
Your new nature will win every time. You won't see that old ugly self that was supposed to be dead. When you put on that full armor of God, you will keep seeing that new you. I can remember one time I sang in a prison in Denver. It was a maximum security prison. Oh, it was, it was a tough one. And they, the guards let me, at the end of the concert, the guards let me have a few of the inmates. I mean, they stood around, but I got to, I got to talk to a few of those inmates. And, you know, a lot of times these prisoners, they, if they only put their smarts to good, they are, they are, not, they are not dumbbells. I mean, some of them, they're just brilliant. And one of them thought he had me. And he said, yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I got a problem, you see. And it's the same problem Paul had in Romans 7. I mean, that's what he said to me. You see, you know, it's really not my fault because, you see, I really do want to do good. Just can't help it. That's basically, this is what Paul is saying. Yeah, we've got this battle going on. And so this kid, he thought that I was going to say, well, then what do you do? And I said, you didn't read the rest, did you? Oh, yeah, you just see, that's where I take out of context with you what you want, because you could take some of those verses and you could say, see, you know, Paul said you battle, everybody battles. We don't do what we should do and we should do what we don't do. I mean, it's just a human dilemma. Yeah. And you could just be stuck and you could pass that off and say, well, you know, then that's the way it is. But you know what? I looked, I took my Bible and I says, look at the rest of this. Look at the rest of the verse. Paul is admitting, yeah, this is a dilemma. This is a fight human nature has without old nature, new nature. Yeah, this is a dilemma. But Paul's the first one that dares say, look, Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. And I said, you know, yeah, that's, that's us in our old sinful self. And that's where he could have left us. We could have stayed wretches because that is for all of us. What a wretched man, what a wretched woman we are, we are. In, in every, that's why I said we can never lose grip you know, that song that oh, about such a worm as I, you know, no, I am no longer a worm. But every once in a while, it is good for me to realize that that's what I was and tell Jesus. I was a wretch before Jesus. And you think, oh, what a way to end before the holidays. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but you know what? This is what I said to that prisoner, too. This chapter ends just terrific. And what a great way to end. Because if it wasn't for Christmas, we would end right there. What a wretched man I am. And there would be no hope. And there would be, we would still be, sin would still be our master. We would still be stuck in our old nature. Because it didn't die. But because Jesus died, our old nature dies. Our new nature is alive and well. I looked at that prisoner and I said, yes, in and of ourselves, what a wretch I am. And then Paul said, who will rescue me? Oh, that's the best part. 
Paul comes to grips with that. Okay, okay, I am this. I am a hopeless, wretched mess. Who can be? And you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of the story when you, when you did Revelation. Remember in chapter 5 of Revelation where it says, John said, an angel said, who will take the scroll? Remember, and, and that scroll was the deed to planet Earth, you know. Who could take this scroll and, and come and, and come back to Earth, take that deed to planet Earth and come and make all, um, get rid of all evil and make all things right again? And who can take this scroll? And it said there was no one on heaven and Earth that was worthy to take the scroll. And what did John do? Does anybody remember? What did John do when he heard that news? There was no one. He wept. He wept. He didn't just cry a couple of tears. It said he wept because if, if we stayed there, if there was no one that was worthy to take the scroll, the deed to planet Earth, and come back and, and rid this world of evil, then what? Why did, why, did he, why did he weep? He thought, then Satan won. Then Satan won. And we are lost. And we are wretched. And there is no hope. That reminded me, because Paul painted that. He says, what a wretched man, what a wretched man I am. But who can rescue me? <laughs> and then what does he say? I just get chills, because I'll tell you, remember in, Rome, in Revelation 5, it was that all of a sudden Jesus came. It's like it came out of nowhere. And he just took the scroll from his father's hands with all authority. And what happened, if you read, oh, during the holidays, read it, read Revelation 5. What happened when Jesus took the scroll? Because Satan does not win, and he does come back. What happened in heaven? It said heaven erupted in praise. That's, that's the hope we live in, and that's exactly the way Paul ends this chapter. After he made, and he really makes us look bleak, and he does make us look very weak in and of ourselves. He wants us to. He wants us to know we're in the fight every minute of every day, but he also wants us to see that we've been rescued. And so when he said, who can rescue me? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus. I thought, oh, I wish I could take credit for, for, for the way this ended right before Christmas. But this is just the beauty of how much he wants us to grasp this. We would still be stuck in that. That's why I looked at that prisoner with all confidence and said, oh, you can be rescued from this hopelessness, from this master of sin, because when you activate that power source, I know we are sinners. I know we still will sin, but I'm here to tell you, and I dare stand out on a limb on this. We've been given every power necessary to stop this sin thing in our life. And I know you think, well, it's impossible. Don't blame God for that. No, it's you and I stepping out of our walk with him. That's what brings sin back into our life because he made it. 
And Paul said, no, thanks be to God, he rescued us from our sin. And if we activate and we follow and we stay within the law, the perimeter of his commands and the way he wants us to live, and we're willing to listen to his wisdom more than our folly, he said, that's when you know what life is. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus. Did you notice how he put all the names? Did you see Jesus? It's his earthly name. It means he's going to save people from their sins. Christ, that means he's the Messiah, the chosen one. He is the promised one for all those hundreds of years. He is the one. Jesus Christ and then our Lord. Overall, in all, through all. That's who rescued us from what we deserved. (laughs) All I could say to you is Merry Christmas. (laughs) And we'll see you in January.